Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. You know, a lot of things that we face in this life are challenging. I'm not telling y'all anything you don't know. I'm looking around the room right now. I know a lot of what's going on. There's a lot of stuff we face that's challenging. We might grow weary when we begin to see things that are not like they're supposed to be. But as followers of Jesus in the face of tough circumstances, um, which which we all face in our lives again, um, and in the face of persecution, or when we feel weak, or when we feel vulnerable, or when we feel that that others around us want us to to say things different than, than what the message of God says, or when we ourselves might want to hear a different message about our lives. In those times, it can be very easy for us to forget what our primary role as followers of Jesus is. Our primary role to our spouses, as as we are followers of Jesus, to our children, to our families, to our church family, to, to all those in the world around us, more than anything else, we are to continue to proclaim the mighty work of God, what he has done. Today, we're continuing in our series in the book of Acts. And we're gonna be in Acts chapter two, verses one through 13. But as we come to read that, I wanna remind you, as we've done the last few weeks, uh, that what's going on right here, right before we get to this passage, is that the apostles... And, and, and a total of about, so the 11 apostles and about 120 other people are gathered together in one place. And what they're doing as they're gathering there, Pastor John showed us last week, in one accord, together, they are praying and they are praying for the kingdom of God. And so that's what's, that's what's going on here. And so as they're waiting, as they're praying, they've been told to stay there and wait until the promise of the Lord came, as they're waiting, as they're praying, we pick up in Acts chapter two, verses one through 13. And I remind you again that this is God's word. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, 
they are filled with new wine. Just pause for a minute. Think about what was just said here. Picture the scene. All right, you've got this mighty rushing wind that drew the attention of everybody around who came to see what was going on. Okay, so this mighty rushing wind going on, and they knew to come to a spot. You've got tongues of fire on each person. You've got speaking in other languages. You've got people from under every nation all over the place were there. And when they heard the sound of the wind, they came together to see what was happening. When they did, they heard people speaking in their own languages, telling of the mighty works of God. And then we see at the end of the passage that some believed and some thought they were filled with new wine. I joked this morning um, with the, the prayer group that, you know, these, these, guys, these, these apostles and then these others have been gathered together up in the upper room. Um, they come out, you can kind of think, you, you, they're just looking around like, what have they been doing up there? They've been in there too long for this 50 days. Now, there have been a lot of things that have been written and that have been said about the event of Pentecost. Whole lot of things. I'm gonna tell you that when we're done this morning, we're not all going to agree with every detail about what happened at Pentecost. That's not my goal today. My goal today is to tell you two things that I think are vital for every believer, every follower of Jesus to understand about Pentecost. First is, that the event of Pentecost had to happen. And then the second thing we'll see is that the event of Pentecost matters for us today. So the first event, or first thing is that the event of Pentecost had to happen. It wasn't random. You know why it had to happen? There's two reasons. One, Jesus said it would happen. Jesus promised it. He said it would happen. Uh, this event is a fulfillment of what Jesus had promised. Now, you remember after his resurrection from the dead, Jesus is with the disciples. He's instructing them in the truth about his kingdom, and he's teaching them what they are to do. But he tells them, as we've already seen in this series, to wait until they receive the promise of the Father. And, and that promise, we know, is, is that because they need the power of the Holy Spirit to do what they were called to do. So back in Luke chapter 24, verse, verse 49 Jesus says, I will send the promise of my Father upon you and you will receive power from on high. Then in Acts chapter one, um, which is also Luke writing, verse eight, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now I think it's also important to understand that, that Jesus promised this before his death and resurrection too. So let's back up for a minute. There's all sorts of places in the New Testament Jesus promises the Holy Spirit in the Gospels, but I'm gonna show you two. Both come from the Gospel of John. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then my little paraphrase here, because I don't have time to preach a whole sermon on it. And he's saying, but you're going to need help with that. That's not an easy thing to do. So how will you be able to grow to keep my commandments? He continues, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him because he dwells with you and will be in you. 
Now back to our passage for a minute, back to Acts chapter two for a minute. Verse 12 through 13 tells us some of the people didn't understand what was going on. But Jesus had promised it would happen. Everyone's not going to believe the message. It's not an easy message to accept, but Jesus promised that this would happen. So then John chapter 15, uh, verses 26, 26 through 27 says, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So here's what's going on. This event is fulfilling Jesus' promise to the followers of Jesus about the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit would dwell with them, that he would help them and comfort them, that he would strengthen them to do what God said was good for them, that is, keep his commandments, and that he would strengthen them to bear witness about Jesus. The event had to happen because Jesus said it would, because we need the Spirit, if I summarize that even more, to obey him. We don't want to do that on our own. We need the Spirit of God to do that in us. And we need the Spirit to tell others about him. Another reason this event had to happen is because the prophets said that it would happen. All right, so now we're going to back up further than Jesus. We're going to go into the Old Testament. The prophets said it would happen. Uh, Peter, in, in um, chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, just after this, which Pastor John's going to talk about next week, he shows one of the prophets that talks about that, and that's Joel. But I'll leave that for Pastor John next week. I don't want to steal his, his time. Um, but let me give you a couple others. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3, it says, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty, and I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. And then in verse 8 of the same passage, as a result of God pouring forth his spirit, it says this, that the Lord says, you are my witnesses. All right, this is in Isaiah. This is a long time before Jesus. And he says, this is going to happen. And then Isaiah 32, verse 15, it's anticipating the event of Pentecost to come. It says, things will seem dry and desolate until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high. And then what happens? The Spirit's poured out upon us, and then it shows us that there will be righteousness, there'll be peace, there'll be fruitfulness, and people will have a peaceful dwelling. There's, there'll be righteousness and quiet and trust forever. And they will have quiet resting. Why is all that important? Because without the spirit, things kind of seem dry and not working because nothing, nothing will happen without the spirit of God at work. But when the spirit of God at work is at work, things on this earth, we will begin to see as the spirit of God works, we will see moments of righteousness and peace and fruitfulness. We will see some peaceful dwelling. We will see some of that. But ultimately, this is looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. Here's the point. It has become very popular among Christian circles to say, we don't need the Old Testament today. That's baloney. And if you fall into that, you're missing the richness and deepness of the Word of God. Because what the Word of God says here, what we see here is that the Old Testament prophets knew and understood the dynamics of the Holy Spirit. Y'all understand the Spirit didn't just come around here in, um, in the Gospels or in, in Acts, excuse me. 
The Holy Spirit was hovering over the deep when the world was created. The Old Testament prophets knew and understood the dynamics of the Holy Spirit, but they also understood that in the coming of the Messiah, even though they didn't fully see it yet, that in the coming of the Messiah, there would be a deeper, more dynamic, more intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. We see that promise in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 through 27. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and take the heart of stone from you and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Here's the point. We cannot separate the events of Pentecost from what Jesus said or from the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Old Testament. This event had to happen. So now, let's look at why the event of Pentecost matters for today. That's our second point. First reason it matters for today is that God's people and our mission have been approved. God's people and our mission have been approved. All right, I'm gonna have to give you a little bit of background here to understand what I'm talking about. Um, if, if you're not with me, just shake your head no in a minute, okay? Um, as we go, a lot of, lot of words, but um, I'll give you a little background here. So you, remember, you may remember that um, at the time that Jesus was crucified, the Israelites were celebrating Passover. You remember what Passover, uh, what Passover remembers in the Israelite Jewish culture? It's remembering back, all the way back to Exodus, when the people of Israel are in captivity as slaves in Egypt, right? And when it comes to the, the last plague, Pharaoh still hasn't let the people go, hasn't let the people go, hasn't let the people go, and God said, okay, here's, what we're, here's what's gonna happen now. I'm gonna come and I'm gonna kill the firstborn of all the Egyptians. People of Israel who are dwelling there, if you sacrifice a Passover lamb, this, this lamb, and you take the blood of the lamb and you spread it on the doorpost, then the angel will pass over your homes. And so by the blood of the lamb, you will be spared. That is a way big oversimplification. That's all I'm going to take time on today. And then for the people of Israel, so they were told to celebrate that, continue to celebrate that. And then there was seven, they, they would have seven weeks of Sabbath, seven weeks of Sabbath rest. And then at Pentecost, they would celebrate the giving of the law. Now come to what's going on here um, in our passage. Passover happened. Jesus was the Passover lamb, right? Jesus' blood was shed. His blood was shed so that all who come in his name, the, the penalty for our sin is taken, is taken care of because of the blood of the Passover lamb. And so we have been declared to be good and right and approved of before God. God does not pour out his wrath on those who come through the blood of Jesus. And now, then you have this seven-week period. This is the time that Jesus told the disciples to wait. You've got this seven-week period now, this time of rest in the Jewish culture. What's the rest for Christians, though? Jesus is our rest. 
in this time frame, Jesus is the rest. Jesus is the one who, because of what Jesus has done, the work has been completed. We don't have to work to earn our salvation. We receive it in the rest that we've received from Jesus. Then, 50 days later, when the Old Testament celebrates the giving of the law, when the Israelites celebrate the giving of the law, now corresponding with that at Pentecost is the giving of the Spirit. Mostly with me? All right. Pentecost also was celebrated at the time of the gathering of the harvest. All right. Also maybe called, at, at times called the, the feast of the harvest or the day of first fruits. And so Pentecost is celebrated at that time. And so it's really appropriate that the outpouring of the Spirit would happen at Pentecost because the 120 disciples who are here, they represent a new work of the Holy Spirit. You see, every time, well, I'll come back to that in a minute. <laughs> they represent a new work of the Holy Spirit. And so you've got the apostles and the, these 120 with them total. They are part of the harvest that Jesus brought. I told you that it is the day of the first fruits. Um, let me explain that again for a minute. Um, you understand the concept of first fruits? Here, here's the idea, okay? There is a, let, when, when you're coming in to test the harvest, the way you test the harvest, um, it, the way they would test the harvest is they would go to the tree. I'm gonna use a tree, okay? There's other harvests, but use a tree. They would go to the tree. They would find the best looking fruit. They would pull the fruit from the tree and they would taste it. And when they tasted the fruit from the tree, if the, if the fruit was good, the first fruit was good, the whole harvest was declared to be good. The Bible tells us that Jesus was the first fruit. Jesus was approved of. Jesus was declared to be good and right. And therefore, these 120 disciples and everyone who comes after them is declared to be approved of by God through the work of Jesus. I want to jump up and down right now because this really gets me excited. <laughs> I hope y'all get some of that. <laughs> we are approved of because Jesus is the first fruit. And now all of these, all the disciples and all of us are part of that same harvest. Here's what that means, though. Every Christian is a first fruit of the resurrected Savior because we, we join in with him in that. We share in the victory and approval. And so the day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit corresponds to God approving the harvest that it comes through the work of the Son. And so here's the point. Before the mission began, the mission was approved. Before the mission began, the people were approved. The mission was approved. The mission was accomplished. And he says, now go forth. That's why the Great Commission says, it doesn't start with go and make disciples. We like that part because it's something to do. 
but it actually starts with all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Now, therefore, go. The mission and the people of God have been approved. Let me show you the third thing. I'm sorry, this is the second thing. <laughs> of the, that the, that um, Pentecost matters because it shows that the presence of God is with his people to complete the mission. Look back at verses two and three. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now again, I mentioned at the beginning, this sounds kind of wild and, and crazy in many ways. But the biblical account of world history, the Bible doesn't speak to everything in history, we know that. But of the things it speaks to history, it's true and right and without error. And so the biblical account of world history, the biblical account of how God has been working from the beginning to save a people for himself, every time we see a new thing happen, in the, as the Bible's account unfolds, we see a clear depiction of the presence of the Holy Spirit. I mentioned earlier Genesis chapter 1 in creation. Um, the Spirit was hovering over the deep. I'll give you a couple others. I mean, Exodus 19, 18, at the, the, his glorious presence is seen in the giving of the law. The prophet Ezekiel, it talks about the wind blowing over the dry bones. Y'all remember that story? That account, the wind blowing over the dry bones and new life is given. The dry bones come to life. Even Jesus, when he's beginning his earthly ministry, the spirit rests on him like a dove, Right? There's more examples of this, but the point is, is that the wind we see here in this passage, this mighty rushing wind, it really shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us because it's how the Holy Spirit is depicted every time in the Bible this new thing is happening. And what it means here is that the presence of God in the person and work of the Holy Spirit is with these 120. And it will be with all who believe in the name of Jesus, just as he has promised. That's also what's going on with the tongues of fire. Let me talk about that for just a minute. The tongues of fire indicate the dwelling place of God moving from the temple, the tabernacle, to dwelling with his people, in his people. Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 38, it says this, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the clouds settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whether the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. With the tabernacle, with the temple, the presence of the Lord was there. At day, it was by the cloud. At night, it says fire was there in it. That is the depiction of the presence of the Lord by his spirit. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it tells us that the church is now the temple of God. And then in Ephesians 2, is that the, the, um, that the dwelling place of God is the church, is the people of God. That is, followers of Jesus are the dwelling place of God. And so what God's doing here is marking his presence with pillars of fire in this event. And what's beautiful now is it's not just on the temple, it is on the people of God. And so every individual has the power of God, the power of his spirit as first fruits of the harvest. So we've received the spirit of God. Later, Stephen as he's in, in, in um, Acts chapter six, as he's getting ready to be stoned, he said, God does not dwell in temples made by hands. Now he dwells among his people. The fire confirms his presence and that, that confirmed it in the tabernacle now confirms it with his people. How is his presence confirmed among us today? As I look around I don't see little pillars of fire on you. But when we look back to Scripture again and again, where the presence of the Lord is confirmed, the presence of His Spirit is confirmed, is when the gospel message is proclaimed and people come to conviction because of what the Word of God and His gospel says and either repent as followers of Jesus and turn and follow Him or as not, as when people are not followers of Jesus, the gospel is proclaimed and people come to new faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that that is affirmation of the presence of the Spirit? Again and again. And so on Pentecost, God is dedicating the church as the dwelling place of his presence. Now, I also want to say this before, we, before I finish up. Sometimes, you know, as the harvest, based on what I'm telling you is we all have the Spirit of God, sometimes we are very aware of His presence. But you heard me praying a moment ago as we're praying and care for different families and things going on. We're asking that the presence of God would be with them. What are we asking in that? that God might show them in a way that they can just sense and know that he's there. He didn't, he didn't go anywhere. But that they might sense and know his presence again and again. That's why we pray, Lord, fill us with your spirit. Because he has called us to do something that is hard. He's called us to obey him and follow him. And he's called us to tell others about him. I don't know about y'all, but I don't want to try to do that on my own. We need his spirit to work in us and to strengthen us for it. All right, last thing. Pentecost matters for us today because it shows us that the power for this mission is for all who believe. So all those names I read a minute ago the, that, I couldn't, that, that are hard to pronounce, um, <laughs> you know what that shows us? It shows us unity in the people of God. This event to the Israelites would have meant this, that it's no longer Israel alone who gets to experience the presence of God. The tabernacle of the temple were for the people of Israel. 
But the presence of God came through the person and work of the Holy Spirit from all, on people from all backgrounds, from all languages, from all socioeconomic groups. Uh, that, and, and guess what? They came not because of God giving consideration to what they brought to him. Now, the Spirit of God didn't come because of what we brought to God. The Spirit of God came because it was about what God had brought to them. God brought salvation through the work of Jesus. And the Spirit of God came that we might have the power to live in that salvation, again, to obey Him and to tell others about Him. For you today, When we proclaim that message, I told you a minute ago, one of the evidences of the Spirit of God's presence is that when the message of, God, of the gospel is proclaimed, people are comforted. Those who are walking with him and trusting him. When the message of the gospel is proclaimed, people will be convicted of sin. And when the message of the gospel is proclaimed, by the way, convicted of sin, but also reminded of the grace of Jesus. Let me, let me not stop there. And then when the gospel is proclaimed, we will see people coming to faith in him. What does that tell us? God says that the spirit of God is going to make his word known in the hearts of his people as we share it boldly. And y'all here um, at the Vine, I'm not telling you we get it perfect all the time. Y'all would laugh if I said that anyway. But I am telling you that we will not bend from the truth of the word of God. And I'm telling you as John has just continued to lead in this way, as our elders have led in this way. We disagree sometimes, y'all. But we are going to keep going back to the word of God because the spirit of God takes the word of God and applies it to our hearts. We don't have to change it. We don't have to get fancy. We keep proclaiming the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's going to do his work among us in our hearts. And he is going to strengthen us to share his truth with everyone around us. And so this morning, as we, as we prepare for communion for the Lord's table, I want to ask you to take a couple moments and to ask God to show you, are you trusting his power, the power of the Holy Spirit to follow what the word of God says is good for you. If not, and he shows you that, repent of it. Turn from it. And the second thing is, is are you trusting him to, be, to faithfully, we use the term be on mission, to faithfully proclaim the mighty things that God has done to those around you? That's the things he's done in your life, but that's the things he's done in his word that, all these things, things you hear about him doing, are we taking the time to proclaim the mighty things that he has done? 
It's what he's called us to. And so as we prepare for communion, I want to invite you to ask those questions of the Lord, ask him to show you your heart in that, and where needed that you would repent and and turn to him, and then we'll come to the Lord's table. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.